Good afternoon. My name is Ash, and I'll be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies' series about the latest developments in politics and policy in D.C. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available after the call on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. For any questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks everyone for joining us uh, today. My name is Blake Rutherford with Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and I'm joined by Mark Alderman and Howard Schweitzer. Guys, great to be with you again. Blake, thanks. Um, it is um, a, a beautiful fall day in the District of Columbia, and I speak only about the weather. Um, our politics, I'm not sure, are free. Uh, and that's where I want to begin our conversation. Mark, um, there, is, uh, there has been a flurry of interesting activity. We have had announced retirements. We have um, developments in a critical gubernatorial race in Virginia. Um, money is flowing to um, Democratic congressional candidates all over the country, yet the RNC is raising exorbitant amounts of money to support their efforts. Steve Bannon has waged a holy war on the Republican Party and Mitch McConnell. Um, so with all of that, explain right. to me what's going on. What a world. <laughs> what a world, Blake. And if it weren't for nuclear weapons, it would be entertaining. Unfortunately, uh, it's real and it's a little bit uh, scary. But I think if you can take a step back from the brink and try to frame where we are in American history, it's a, it's a darn interesting time because both parties are in a state of disarray bordering on deconstruction. You have the Bannon War on the Republican establishment, which, by the way, he and the president are winning. You have the Bernie movement out of the Democratic Party. He's running again as an independent. He hasn't endorsed the Democratic candidate in Virginia. And we will see over time what this all looks like. Political parties are not enshrined in the Constitution. They come and go. And it'll just be darn interesting to see over the next number of years whether these two parties survive in any recognizable form. Well, to piggyback on that point, Howard, I mean, we are now starting to see factions, serious factions, um, in both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And we'll get later on to this call about what that means in the context of 2018, because I, I think it presents all sorts of crazy possibilities. But I want to get your general perspective on, um, I call it chaotic, but it may just be the, the natural sort of evolution of things since the election I think here it, in Washington. I think it has something to do with the fact that next week is Halloween. Yeah. That's <laughs> my uh, <laughs> amateur Art analysis. masks selling well? Uh, I'm sure that they are. Yeah. I'm sure there will be a few uh, Donald Trumps floating around the neighborhoods. 
But, uh, Mark, I think for once you gave a fair and balanced and, and accurate summary, both sides. Um, no, I, I thought that was um, well said, and there's disarray all everywhere, everywhere you look. Um, no clear message on the Democratic side of the aisle, and, and no compass on the Republican side of the aisle. You've got Trump at war one day with McConnell, and talking about standing ovations in the Senate the next day. You've got Corker and Flake and McCain um, throwing him under the bus. And, and it's, it's just, it's a state of, it's a state of disarray. So. Yeah. If I may just jump in, I, and I appreciate the compliment about being fair and balanced. I'm (laughs) trying to emulate your Fox news standard there, but there is something in common that's happening here, I think. Something is happening. Absolutely. And we are not sure what it is, but if you push each of these phenomena far enough, if you push the Democrats in Bernie's direction, you push the Republicans in Bannon's direction, they actually meet around the bend somewhere in a rejection of the status quo and a rejection of the establishment and a rejection of Washington, where we're sitting on this lovely fall day. The people out there in the country are not buying what Washington is is selling on either side. You start with the fact that even in a presidential election, 40% of the eligible voters don't even bother to show up. And then you look at what each side is doing more locally, and it is a rejection of this place and what is on both sides. And that is going to make for a a very interesting 2018. It's a rejection of entitlement, <clears throat> entitlement to hold an office. That was loud and clear yeah. in 2016. Well, that isn't and, going anywhere. Well, and and Trump, I think listeners are familiar with my view that the world would be a better place were Donald Trump not president. But Trump is a symptom of this, not a cause. This has been going for a while now. The Republican Party for. Ten years has been retreating from Washington. The, the Tea Party. Party. Movement. Yeah. What's astounding, though, Blake? Astounding is that six years ago, four years ago, in fact, Jeff Flake came to Washington as a Tea Party right-wing crackpot. And now he is the establishment. Right. And he has been rejected by people who are so far around the bend that they're going to meet Bernie out there somewhere. <laughs> I mean, he, ha- he also has a conscience. He has, he has more of a conscience than some other people in Washington. He's, he's religious. And... Um, I think a conscience is is overrated politically, unfortunately, in in 2017. Well, I I, I think too a commonality. I mean, you have you you know you've had a few folks, and 
Corker and Slate being the two most notable because they've decided not to run for re-election, who were also some of the most vocal. And being a vocal opponent of this president, you sort of do at your own peril because of the tenacity, because of Twitter, because of the temperament. I mean, those are kind of my three T's yeah. Yeah. when it comes to Trump. And it it the, it poses risk. I, I well, dare say that. Not that I not that I personally think there's. I happen to disagree with my friend Sarah Sanders that you shouldn't be able to question the press. Shouldn't be able to question anybody. But challenging Trump politically is still vexing. We'll get to the Democrats, but it's vexing for the Republicans it, it, too. It's vexing. But my question of the president and. Steve Bannon is to what end? To what end are they purging the party? It is a cult of personality. It is about loyalty to this man. And to what end are they ripping apart this party? The idea, again, I'm destroying Washington. I'm not in tearing down, tearing down Washington. Well, it's what you said earlier. It's but where does that lead is my well, question. I don't think well, they care. Right. Let me if, ask. If all they're trying to do is burn down Washington like the British did in 1812, they're succeeding. But in terms of actually doing something, anything for the people who are carrying the pitchforks and torches, it, it's hard to see to what end? How do you know this? Certainly better than most. I mean, Steve Bannon continues to harp on this dream of dismantling the administrative yeah. state. Yep, exactly. And I thought you might just, in the context of what's happening, sort of give us a little more insight into what he—not that you know what he what's what he's what he's thinking. <laughs> yeah, but what when you and Steve have been yeah, discussing, when you, Howard, when you and Steve Bannon are hanging out. Yeah. But yeah. but but when someone like Bannon, when a candidate of Bannon says, I'm going to Washington because I want to dismantle the administrative state, what what are they hypothesizing in their mind as a realistic outcome? Nothing. Yeah. I I, I think that alone that headline alone is, is enticing. We have a huge bureaucracy. 80% of which does nothing, day in and day out. And, and things happen without transparency. And, and you know what? There's something to be said for the fact that we've got a bloated government that's that's racking up debt and has no um, – and doesn't connect to people's everyday lives. I think they're thinking about things like the EPA that – to, in, in their mind, um, does no good. It doesn't create jobs. It takes them away. And they're thinking about a government that hasn't been able to to, to take, hasn't been able to modernize in the sense that, um, uh, in the job creation sense, with with um, increase in technology, borders have become less relevant. And so the government's ability to have an impact on the economy has become less relevant. And I think people have felt that, and they just want to fight back on some level. 
That's why this message is so appealing. Right. And it is at some level a pushback against the modern world. It is a pushback against where history has taken us. But I ask again to what end? The people in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, who put Donald Trump in the White House, are all for burning down Washington. But it's hard to see how their lives get better by doing that. But isn't 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 the fundamental mistake that Democrats made in 2016 was that people it wasn't about how Donald Trump's going to make your life worse because they were already there. Trump was at least saying if I burn down Washington, yeah. some opportunities going to come from it, while Hillary Clinton wasn't saying anything productive right. at all. Right. And that people are still there and from the data we know that despite Trump's chaos, despite all of the dysfunction in the West Wing, despite Bob Corker's comments that he's leading us to World War III, despite Jeff Flake's takedown on the Senate floor, mm-hmm. those people are still with Trump. Yeah, because he's more in touch with what they're feeling than everybody else. He's not, they don't, I don't think they even care so much <clears throat> about who he is and and what he does. I think he knows how to pick up on themes that they about and play them up until the cows come home and that's that's what won last year. That's and Mark we come back in politics the kitchen table issues. And yep. despite Donald Trump living in a gaudy tower in Midtown, he was the guy talking about kitchen table issues while while Hillary Clinton was Again, and as much of a supporter as I was, I've gone over this in my mind. I still can't figure out what her what her message was. I still can't figure out what her result, what her what her argument was for being president. As hard as that is to admit, but Donald Trump still talks about the basics, and these people right. are they care about jobs. They like a tax cut. They want border security. But yes, and I agree that talking about Donald Trump and his attraction to his base is obviously the core of where we are today with politics in this country. But I I say again, Trump's a symptom, not a cause. This has been happening for a while. What's happened, I believe, is a, a, a couple of things. On the Democratic side, let's talk about our side for a minute. We've had nothing to say forever and ever. We have been giving away state legislatures, giving away governorships. We have been a president-centric party. And we got lucky because Barack Obama appeared and managed to get himself elected twice. I Still think that was a good thing for the country, but there was no party building right. going on. There was party destruction by neglect going on, and the Democratic Party isn't a victim of Donald Trump. Hillary having no message is another symptom, right? Not not a cause, I think. 
But but having said all that, I just I just want to make one observation that that I think is again relevant to to the framework here. Seventy thousand votes, and the electoral college, X of seventy thousand votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and the electoral college rather than the popular vote. Hillary Clinton is the president. And we're not talking about Donald Trump and his appeal to voters in Luzerne County. And yet, it's all still true. It's all still true. I just think we get distracted by the overwhelming solar eclipse of this man's personality. Mark, you lost. Right. Right. Of course. He won. Right. But what I'm saying is, even if she had won, the Democratic Party would be in the desert. We wouldn't be talking about having a message, but we would still be talking about what are we going to do with the state legislature? What are we going to do with the so governorships? So if, if Trump is a symptom and not a cause, then why are why is Trump all that the Democrats are talking about? I mean, you and I have been in multiple rooms with United States senators in swing states, in states Trump won, and Democrats who all they do is talk about Trump. Yeah, I, I, right. Yeah, it's a mistake. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's let's right. I, let's localize this a little bit. Let's. Uh, we've got two governors' races mm-hmm. that are that are happening right now. One's not really a contest in New Jersey for a whole variety of reasons, but we don't think. Well, <laughs> right. I, I'm going to say yes, of course, with. Can I just say one thing? <laughs> Interestingly, and he's a fine guy, but the, the Democrat that is likely to get elected the next governor of New Jersey is a Goldman Sachs guy. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, right. As is half of the White House staff. So maybe <laughs> we should be talking. That is the point. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm not against Goldman Sachs guys. Right. But that. Is the that's what that's what irritates the rural voter in northern Michigan or the rural voter um, on the eastern shore of Virginia? Well, that's what and and really I, I wanted. To sorry, talk, Blake, I oh, cut no, no, you off. No, 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 no fine, fine. Because because I think that I wanted to talk about Virginia a little bit because that is a a hyper competitive race. Um, on the Republican side, you've got Ed Gillespie who. Is very well known in Washington, a RNC player for a long, long time. Um, right, we're getting a lobbyist. Yeah, a lobbyist um, and former candidate for the Senate who almost pulled off a quite an upset. Um, mm-hmm. So, and he's running against Lieutenant Governor uh, Ralph Northam, who um, is the support of Terry McAuliffe and the whole Virginia Democratic Party establishment in a state where Hillary won one. Where a Democrat has not won statewide in eight years. I mean, a Republican. Republican, sorry, yeah. Republican my bad. And yet, this race is neck and neck. Um, yeah, polling today showed Gillespie up. Right. And if you look at if you if if you agree that polling is anywhere from three to four days behind where the electorate's trending, he's up a couple of points. Yeah. And that's very very bad news for the Democrats. It's horrible. Um, he has run a campaign centered on two issues, immigration and Confederate statutes. Yep. 
Which and, Trump tweeted about today. Right. Did he tweet about it today? He had tweeted only he had tweeted twice about both about immigration. Um, and so I see he stepped back in on on Confederate statutes. I mean, what do you guys make of this race? I know it's one state, I know it's an off year, but I mean this is <laughs> so here's something that Trump did do that he was the cause more than the symptom of. Trump ripped the Band-Aid off, and this race is about race. There are only two issues, immigration and Confederate statues. Mm -hmm. Those issues are about race, and so is this gubernatorial race. And that is something that Donald Trump did by ripping the Band-Aid off. And what's going to happen is a version of what happened in 2016 at the presidential level. Every single person who wants Ed Gillespie to be governor for his or her own reasons, but you're not going to convince me that race isn't central to that mix, every single Gillespie supporter is going to show up because they are highly, highly, highly motivated. motivated. They're mad. They're determined they're going to show up. Not everyone who is for the Democrat has inspired. And, and we're going to see. I think the, there were more people in this country, I believe, in November of 2016, who would have voted for Hillary if they had to vote than would have voted for Trump. In fact, she won the popular vote. But they didn't show up. We're going to see who shows up in Virginia. It, and, it's a version of the same dynamic. And, and, and in some ways, the Democrats, yet again, not learning their lesson, thinking that, nothing to say. That, that with nothing to say, you're still going to be able to drive turnout. This whole idea, I mean, it's so antiquated. The DNC, will, which we can talk about, but you know, they have a meeting in Las Vegas Message is not part of it. It's technology to get voters to turn out. What are you getting them to turn out for is the question that I ask. Yeah. I was at a Democratic senatorial campaign committee retreat just last weekend in <clears throat> Miami, and people asked the question. If right now there's a, there's a debate going on over tax cuts, where's the Democrats' tax cut plan? Yeah. We're the party of the earned income. Well, not right. really Reagan was the driver of the earned income tax credit, but we corrupted it and and turned into an issue. The middle class tax cut was Bill Clinton. And they all kind of looked, people looked around. I mean, some very prominent members looked around and said, I don't know. Um, why is the Democrat response to completely dismantling a, pop, a, a, a very effective health care program single payer? This is Howard where yeah. as, a, as, as someone who tends to vote more Democratic, I struggle with because I'm just not sure that that we get it, and I'm not entirely sure that this isn't the gift that's going to keep on giving to Trump. Well, yeah, because it's it's easy to fight. It's easier to fight against something than it is for something. And the Republican Party right now is fighting against something. This whole deconstruction of the administrative state, like you were saying earlier, this notion of being left behind. It's easy to it's easy to quarrel with Washington with bigger government on that basis. But. And, yeah. But how, again, if there weren't nuclear weapons, this would be hilarious. How hilarious is it that the messenger for all of that is Ed Gillespie? The messenger for deconstruction See? of the administrative <laughs> state and the rejection 
of Washington and populism and pitchforks is Ed Gillespie. It's absurd, but I think it's much easier, and, and I think this is one of the lessons from 2016, I think it's much easier as a Republican to have your cake and eat it too than it is as a Democrat with no ability to articulate a message. Right. And See, if you're Pat Toomey, running last year, you very effectively in Pennsylvania dodged yeah, Trump. You had to do is say nothing. Yeah, dodged Trump and ran away. Yeah. I mean, how? It's crazy. But it's but it's hap- it happened time and time again in 2016. It's going to happen again. Well, and 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 isn't this the interesting thing? I mean, Trump is is. In the Toomey race, not a drag. I mean, he right. he does it. He wins that race. Yet Democrats run a presidential campaign solely attacking Trump. No substance. Plenty of policy papers and 900 things on a website that nobody's going to read. But no narrative for for what they're going to do. And I will I will say, and where I think the Democrats are really getting this wrong, since we're just this is just a criticism of the Democratic Party call, but is that we don't have an answer on immigration. We they we don't. It's it's not that we let me back up. Well, the Democrats don't have a popular <laughs> answer on border no. security. It's a they don't. No, they they don't. It's a demographic approach. Right. They think that right. by taking the side of being pro immigration, pro illegal immigration, right. that they're more likely to have more Hispanic members of the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. But look what happened in 2016. Trump got a higher percentage of the Hispanic vote than Mitt Romney did. Running completely, or not completely, but running with immigration is basically his number one issue. It it isn't working. And, And Mark, I mean, I think it's really hard for the Democrats to articulate a, 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 a truthful message that is consistent with the mo- the pressures of the modern world, but they, they got to do it. Well, yes. Yeah, you get no <laughs> argument on this side of the table. Blake and I are in agreement with that and, and as frustrated as can be with it. But, but I, w- I want to say one thing and then turn to all politics is local. Yeah, because, right. That's where I was going. Because it's not all hopeless although it's not as hopeful as I'd like it to be. I still haven't heard anybody in this room or in this country stand up and say Virginia isn't about race. Virginia is about race, and it's very hard to call out the Republican candidate in Virginia as running a racist campaign. But this is, again, this is Willie Horton and George H.W. Bush. This is Richard Nixon and the Southern strategy. There's a problem in this country with race. It is at the core of this dynamic, I believe. And it's just really hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about. Having said all of that, congressional candidates on the Democratic side are outraising their Republican incumbent opponents. There is a lot of activity locally. All politics is local. And I think what is happening that is a sign of hope, it isn't a message, but it is a sign of hope on our side, Blake, 
is that people are taking matters into their own hands. Yeah. And back home, people are saying that the hell with Washington, the hell with the DNC and Hillary and emails and all the rest. I'm running for Congress, right. and I'm going to raise money, and I'm going to run against this guy that we all know because we all live here. And I think, I think there are going to be some surprises next year. Will the Democrats take the House? Who knows what the world will look like in a year? Way, way too soon to make any predictions. But there are signs of life at the local level that we can take some hope in. To what end? To capture your question. I mean, is does money... They're fundraising... Yeah, there are plenty of people willing to write checks um, on the basis of Trump. That's why they're raising money, but the question at the end of the day is, are people going to pull a lever because of Trump? Yeah. And I think the answer has been shown to be no. I mean, we'll see what happens in Virginia. Right. Um, I think it's such... Look, I agree, it's a million miles away, 2018, yeah. but um, it's a million years away, but I think, it, I think it will tell us a lot about the state of politics in the United States. I and think a guy we all know well, respect, admire, Charlie Dent, who's retiring from Congress, his seat up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, is going to be open. I, don't, I do not think what happens in Virginia next week has anything to do with what's going to happen in the race to succeed Charlie Dent next year. I think it's going to depend who, who's running against whom. Who are the two candidates, and what do they have to say to the people where they live? And the district is not as unconstitutionally gerrymandered as some. <laughs> so that that's an interesting race to watch, and I just beg to differ. I just don't think that electing Ed Gillespie in Virginia tells you anything about replacing Charlie Dent in Allentown, Pennsylvania in a year. Yeah, well, and, and I think the what I what I wonder about, and again, we're not going to know, is whether <clears throat> set aside the Confederate statue issue because that's that that is what it is in in Virginia. I still think there's something. I still think immigration is a is a potent issue. I think it is a potent issue in depressed economies in outs in in urban areas, but but specifically in places that have lost jobs, right or not. Yep. You just think about where the electorate yep. is. And I don't know if if you look at Gillespie's message on immigration, which by the way, Virginia doesn't have sanctuary cities. It doesn't have. I mean, it's not really a an issue aside from being a national issue, there's no. It's not as not a, a particularly acute right. It's not a problem. Not a border state. But yet he spent a bulk of his money on on that issue, and um, and and the rest pretty much being you know Confederate statutes. But I wonder if there's not a a playbook that will come out of sort of Trump Gillespie. Immigration as a as an issue that you can run on if you're running for Congress and make yeah. it local. I don't know. That's one well, of the things. I've, that's about the only thing I could think. Of. That's the only thing I am so, thinking about. Yeah. So here's 
something to think about apropos directly of that. Uh, there's going to be a very interesting race next year between Bob Casey and Lou Barletta, right. assuming he wins the Republican Party, as he's very likely to. He is a creation of his immigration stand. He was the mayor of Hazleton. He took a very local and very strong anti-immigrant position. He ended up in the uh, Third Circuit uh, on uh, a constitutional challenge to his school policy. There's no better poster child for the Trump immigration candidate right. than Lou Barletta in Pennsylvania. Bob Casey is going to have to deal with that. And what what I think will be very interesting to see is whether Casey can cut into the deficit in all of those places we've been talking about. There are there's town after town after town. Actually, it happens at the county level because that's where they count the votes, as you know. It's county after county after county that Barack Obama lost by 10% and Hillary Clinton lost by 60%. Right. All Bob has to do is only lose by 30% to keep his job. And we're, we're going to see if he can, in those places, say something about jobs and the economy, and but talk to them about what they care about. Immigration is a proxy for the economy. Right. Sure. Right. That's sure. That's sort of the point that I'm. I'm sure. I'm, I'm alluding to whether I'm right or not. Well, time will tell. But there, there seem and and it's and it there's potency to it. I mean, it's it it's something that you know Trump for all for all of everything it is rather masterful that he comes up with build a wall because a wall is symbolic of this position which relates to the economy which Hillary doesn't have a message on and all of a sudden people start to yes you can weave a narrative from he's that. running i mean the message is anti illegal immigration that's the message that's the I mean, that's why he got a higher percentage of the Hispanic vote than Mitt Romney did. The Hispanic population, the legal Hispanic population in this country didn't take it as being anti-person of a different national origin. Well, yeah. yeah. I think the Hispanic vote isn't um, monolithic. I think there are a lot of cross-currents about why... Trump did better than Romney. By the way, neither of them did anywhere approaching what George W. Bush did a mere, what are we, 12 years ago. So going from 6% to 8% is better, but, but hardly a, a movement. I think immigration is a proxy for the economy. It's all politics is local. What's happening in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, is that factory jobs are being filled by Mexican-Americans, or maybe some of them undocumented, although it's hard to have a job in a factory without being here legally. And, yeah, that is where energy 
comes from. But I'm just going to say it again and, and, and leave it there because it's way above our pay grade to resolve. It's also a proxy for race. It is a proxy for more than simply the economy. And it's something that this country is going to have to deal with. And so is Bob Casey in running against right. Lou Barletta. I think other things are a proxy for race, but I don't think that – I actually don't think that is. I mean – I think you're kidding yourself. I, you know – well, okay, we, we disagree. One of the biggest let me, let me, go ahead. Let me frame it differently because if you if you look at it through the lens of the Democratic Party, it absolutely is about race. It's just more inclusive. And you if you talk to progressives, some of the most visceral will tell you that it's absolutely about race. If the Democratic Party adopts anything that isn't amnesty for all, it's a racist policy. Um, so I think both sides are, are are going down this race road. Yep. Um, and whether it's who wins, I mean, I, who knows? But I think to your to your point, Mark, about about it all, this. Interestingly enough, this may be the the undercurrent. It's hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about in a political campaign. Let's talk about immigration policy for just 30 seconds, okay? Let's not kid ourselves about how we got where we are. The United States Senate, in a bipartisan vote four years ago, passed an immigration reform bill that was enthusiastically backed by the administration. Mm -hmm. It went to the House and didn't even get a hearing. It was buried by Paul Ryan and the Republican leadership didn't even get a hearing. So we are where we are because a political decision was that that was something they weren't even going to talk about. So to say that Democrats have nothing to say, to say that Republicans used to have nothing to say isn't exactly There was a moment in time where there was a consensus that got completely derailed by the... Look, the country's completely screwed up. <laughs> this town is completely screwed up. Okay, below the surface are some things happening, yeah, but it's completely screwed up. The Democrats should be running away. They should be running away with Virginia. They should be poised to run to take the House and and run away with the midterm election next year, and they're not. And they're not because they have no message. And there may be 25 different reasons why they have no message, but they have no message. And unless they get one and get it quickly, we're going to continue to see the politics that we're that we're seeing. You know, it will be interesting because uh, because there there are two un, there there are two issues at play in 2018. I mean, there's there's the congressional map, which I, I will. I will take a moderator's privilege and certainly agree that more than anywhere more than anywhere else matchups matter because it is local because you're you're more likely than not to have people who grew up in these towns who served on a school board who 
who ran a business who, who are going to really be able to, to, to thread that, that localized needle in, a, in an effective way. We've got a Senate map that is brutal. brutal. And then we've got governorships that it hadn't been too good for the Democrats there either. Um, And those have a potential to get nationalized in a way. I mean, Virginia, you could argue it's a hybrid, but yeah. Well, Senate races are more national than gubernatorial races, which are more national than congressional races, which are more national than school board races. So, yeah, there, there's a lot a lot going on. I'm going to just throw a hand grenade into the thing. Now, the pin hasn't been pulled on the hand grenade, but, <laughs> but the grenade is out I there. I don't know where you're going. The Supreme Court is going to rule soon, we expect, on gerrymandering, redistricting, reapportionment, pick, pick your word. It's it's impossible to predict. It's hard to believe that they are going to come down hard against gerrymandering for political reasons, the Supreme Court being a political institution itself. But they might. But they might. And if they come down with a strong constitutional ruling against gerrymandering, all hell is going to break loose everywhere because everything is gerrymandered beyond description and and that is something to watch that that may not may not push through 2018 it may take a little bit longer but that is just a wild card that that is not to be forgotten in talking about all this yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly think that that um, and we'll know soon. I was going to say well, yeah, we'll know soon. Opinion soon, um, and then we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I I want to kind of wrap up our our time here. We've we've talked about the money. We've talked about what. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Yeah. Mark has fatigue. We yeah, all have Mark, fatigue. Yeah, Mark, Mark, poor Mark. I've been waiting for North Korea. Yeah. Listen, we all have fatigue on some level, but the question is not whether we have fatigue <coughs> living here in the bubble in Washington. The question is whether the voter in Roanoke, Virginia. Boy, you had, love this Virginia race. I do because I think it's a proxy for the next election. The, the world, you. T- the world is going to look so different in November of 2018. Okay. Roll the tape back a year. You can't keep saying that. And I think it's the voter in Roanoke, Virginia. The question is whether she has fatigue. The question is whether and, – and the fatigue that she has is more likely to be fatigue with the establishment, i.e. us, in Washington than it is, than it is with Donald Trump, I think, which is why – the Democrats aren't gaining ground. Yeah, I mean the only the, the only metric whether it holds any value or not is that the Democrats are starting to really see a noticeable advantage in the generic ballot. Um, but the the challenge is that you've got you still have, and this is Steve Bannon's I think argument 
is, and he said it the night Roy Moore was elected, and he said it to the California Republican Party, which is one, money doesn't matter, and because my people are going to show up, and you've got to find a way to get yours to show up, but I don't need $15 million in Alabama to win a race against Luther Strange. I need $2 million, and that's what I got. So, And I won running away. Um, so I, I, I'll be interested, tell, and I think... Tell me how anybody's life gets better by Senator Moore coming to Washington. <laughs> anybody's life. It, it, it doesn't. Yeah. It, but he's going to win. Of course. He won. No, it, of course. It of goes course. back so that's to That's not the, a Republican-Democratic thing. That's not we have no message. That's the Civil War. Well, yeah, that's Bannon versus that's, McConnell. But it's just yeah. crazy. Again, it is crazy that, what, what is it, Big Luther and yeah. Little Bobby or whatever <laughs> Bannon said? I mean, the idea that these guys are too liberal <laughs> for the modern Republican Party is really, is really hilarious. Um, well, we'll see. I mean, I mean, we've got these gubernatorial races in mean, the elections in a couple weeks. Yep. Um, week from Tuesday. So, I, yeah. I, whether it it's a bellwether for 2018 or not, it's going to eat up a lot of oxygen as we deconstruct what happened there. I, I, I tend to think optically, it is very, very bad for the Democrats to lose Virginia. I wouldn't, I don't, and I think that that's going to signal, number one, Bernie's going to come come at him from the left and say, you should have nominated my guy because this is about leftist issues. Mm -hmm. He's dead wrong, but that's what he's going to say. And then the establishment Democrats are going to look around and say, we just ran the same campaign that we ran in 2016 and we lost again, and we're going to stay the course, um, which is which is unfortunately where I, I think Mark, our party is is going to resign itself to, and we'll see the impact come January. A lot of money flowing flowing uh, flowing through um, these campaigns. I've told everybody to call both of you individually. <laughs> your checkbooks are open, generous this holiday season. So um, that your Caitlin's posting your. <laughs> cell phone numbers on Twitter now. Um, a lively discussion today. Um, we'll be back with even more. I, I hope we'll get together after Election Day in a couple of weeks and and, and at least talk about what's happened there. And um, until then, always fun. Thanks for joining us. And thanks, thanks for everybody right. uh, joining us on the call. So that was the wrap-up? That was it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Consider it a wrap. <laughs> thanks. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's call.